This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Grace is dangerous. Grace is dangerous because it's not by your works. It's the work of God. And many people, because of that, they rest in that so much that then they excuse their lives and just simply wave their hands in the air and say, Oh, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus covers it all. And they continue to live on their lives as if the blood of Jesus never covered their sin. As we continue through the book of Romans, Pastor David will be teaching us the dangers of taking God's grace for granted. The Apostle Paul says, Because we have the grace of God, should we continue in sin? Certainly not. The sign of a genuine believer is that they're no longer a slave to sin, but are a slave to righteousness. Pastor David will teach us that sin no longer has dominion over us. So if we sin, it's because we choose to. We can no longer fall into sin. We walk into it. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 15, with part one of our message entitled, The Practice of Sanctification. Positional and practical in verses 15 to 23 is what we're going to be looking at today. So you ought to have your Bibles open to chapter 6, and we're going to begin looking at verses 15, verse 15. Paul says there, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? And he says, Certainly not. Now some would say that Paul is simply repeating that same question that we looked at last week over in verse 1. But that's not the case because here he's leading to a definitely different direction. In verse 1 he asks the question about us using sin as a draw to be able to get additional grace. He asks that question, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? But in this question, he's asking a little bit different. We dealt with that last week, and that answer to his question of sinning that grace might abound, the answer was, of course, no. It was a resounding no. But here in verse 15, he's calling us into a question to that different situation. It's the attitude of believers that would abuse the teaching of God and the teaching of grace to simply approve or sanction their own sin. Beloved, it's not an issue of non-believers that he's dealing with. They know nothing of the grace of God. A non-believer has never experienced the grace of God. They have no place in grace at this present time other than the fact that it's offered to them. But for a non-believer, they've not received that yet. He's directing these comments to those of you and I who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who claim Him as our Lord and Savior. And he's asking these very pointed questions. Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? It's interesting, is the way that he answers that, that's certainly not. The grammatic power of that verse can't be summed up in just one, or that answer can't be summed up in just one or two words. That certainly not is not strong enough for what Paul's answer is. It's kind of like, of, of course not. That's, that's ridiculous. Who would even think of that? It's kind of like what we were talking about last week when we talked about the guy that would bang his head against the wall and how foolish that would be. Well, I'm, why are you banging your head against the wall? Because it feels so good when I stop. And you think that's, that's, that's foolish. And Paul is saying the same thing here. 
Do we allow this sin to continue in our lives simply because we're no longer under the law, but we're now under grace? Of course not. It's ridiculous. Beloved, the grace of God abounds in your life and mine if you are under the cross. But you know what? You need to be warned. You need to be warned that grace is dangerous. Grace is dangerous because it's not by your works. It's the work of God. And many people, because of that, they rest in that so much that then they excuse their lives and just simply wave their hands in the air and say, oh, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus covers it all. And they continue to live on their lives as if the blood of Jesus never covered their sin. You see, that's one of the problems that the Catholic Church has with the Protestant Church. Because we believe that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we're saved. Whereas the Catholic Church says, yes, that is there, but it must also be followed up by works, that those works that you do are also a part of salvation and the whole division of Protestantism, which is who we are, versus Catholicism, the greatest portion of that deals with this issue of grace versus that grace plus works. You see, they would look at us and say, oh, you say grace, and yet you don't give yourself any responsibility, and that's why Protestant believers live the way that they do. Well, we could argue much about Catholicism and the way Catholic believers, but, you know, we're all flesh, and we've all got situations. The thing is, is in grace, there is great freedom, but in that freedom, there is great danger. I dare say that there's not one reasonable Christian that would make a statement so bold as to proclaim that they can continue in sin because they're covered by grace. I doubt that if any of you this morning would really make that statement, you'd come up to me as a pastor, speak to a brother or sister in Christ and say, you know what, I can just keep sinning because I'm covered in grace. I can live any way that I want to because I'm covered in grace. No reasonable Christian would do that, but you know what? There are a multitude of Christians that by their actions and by the day-to-day course of their life, it's like they're standing on the rooftops and they're yelling it out. And you don't think that the world sees that? You don't think that the lost see believers who say, oh yeah, I'm a believer, and yet they live their lives as if they've never known Christ. They yell on one hand, oh, I profess Christ, But on the other hand, they yell out, I'm continuing to sin because I'm covered by the grace of God. What a dangerous, dangerous position that is for us to be in. Those that have made a verbal profession of Christ as Savior, and yet they continue by the actions of their life to live in sin. First of all, they disobey His Word. Secondly, they continually turn a deaf ear to the wooing of the Holy Spirit in their life. Thirdly, they choose by their actions to dishonor Jesus Christ. And again, by those actions, they deny the very love that purchased them for their salvation. These are the ones that Paul is speaking of in verse 16. And in verse 16, he writes, Do you not know 
that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. He says, don't you know? And again, it's like a frustrated individual would come to another and grab them by the shoulders and says, don't you know, can't you see, don't you understand what you're doing when you do this? That when you and I as believers continue to follow after sin in our life and continually fall back into the flesh, he says, don't you know that you're presenting yourselves as slaves? You're slaves to the one you obey, whether it's sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Whoever you obey, that's the ones to whom you're going to become a slave to. They're the ones who are your masters. The ones that you, by the actions, the attitudes, and the thought processes of our lives, that's who becomes our master. Jesus himself declared in Matthew, no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that word mammon is more often translated as wealth or money, but loved, it's, it's much more than that. It could be the world, it could be wealth, it could be the, the fleshly desires, it could be anything outside of God. You cannot serve God and anyone else. You are slaves to whomever you obey. And careful, careful, careful as we walk in the Lord to look and see, am I being obedient to the Spirit of God or am I following after the things of the flesh. He tells us in verse 17, But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Paul makes it clear here that that if you've truly come to faith in Christ, we've been delivered from the power of sin. From the power of sin. And that's the thing that you and I need to understand. The difference between the power of sin and the persuasion of sin. Some will say, well, you know, that's just the way I am. It's it's the power of sin. No, if the Word says that you've been free from the power of sin, you cannot say that anymore. Now it comes to a point where we are choosing our disobedience. It's the work of God, it's not the work of man, and yet you and I have to be willing to surrender our lives continually to the will of God, to live our life before God. It's that form of surrender that really brings about true freedom in our lives. Because, again, when we come to Him and surrender to Him, that's really when freedom comes. In the midst of our slavery to sin and its bondage, we've got to surrender to righteousness, beloved. That's the only way that we're going to really know freedom. You see, sin comes and says, look, you can live any way that you want. And you think, oh, that's great freedom. I can do this, I can do that, and I can live in great freedom. But Jesus says, no, that's not freedom. You're under the bondage of sin. And that sin literally has a hook in your jaw, and it's just leading you around wherever you don't want to go. He says, you come to me, and you will truly be released from the power of sin, and you'll know real freedom in, our, in your life. We've confused our minds to feel that we have freedom while we're in the bondage of sin. 
all the while refusing to surrender to God, all the while refusing to allow him to work in us in order to make us truly free, truly free. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he speaks about the same kind of idea, and he says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. When you take a yoke upon you, do you realize how close you have to be with one when you take a yoke upon you? You are side by side with that one. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. When he speaks of that, he's speaking about the fact that as you are yoked together with me, I'll teach you. You'll learn from me. It's not too unlike what the ancient farmers would do as they yoked two oxen together. They would yoke a younger and inexperienced ox together with an older, more mature ox. And together, as they would plow through the fields, literally that older ox would keep that younger one in line. How far can that younger one go if that older one and stronger one continues to go a straight line? He's not going to go far. Why? Because he's yoked to the master. And when that younger one would stumble and fall, how far would he fall? Not too far because he's yoked to the master. Again, for you and I to be continually yoked to the Lord Jesus Christ. You might say, well, that's bondage. No, it's not. It is great freedom because then we can begin living our lives to the fullest capacity of what the Lord Jesus created us for, designed us for. Paul, back in Romans in verse 18, he says, You've been set free from sin, or having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Slaves to righteousness. What a glorious condition that really is. What a blessing is ours to know that we can bow the knees, we can surrender to our new sovereign, to our Lord and King. It's a recognition that I place myself under His care and under His direction rather than my own, rather than being led by the flesh. If I'm a slave to righteousness, if I do declare Jesus as my Lord and Master, how do I change my old lifestyle into the new? Well, Paul continues on speaking to us here. In verse 19, he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. The consequence of our past life was continual lawlessness. We couldn't do anything other than disobey God because we didn't know His Word. We had no power to walk in His Word. We were demonstrating by our very actions the true master of our life. Every time we sinned, we were declaring, sin is my master. In every area, in every direction that we went, we were declaring that in our lives. We were yoked to sin. We were slaves to sin. But now in Christ, we're slaves to righteousness, yoked with Christ, leading to holiness. We have to understand that we're, we're, we're not simply under a new management 
Some would say, well, now someone else is managing your life. Oh, no, it's much, much more than that. Beloved, we're under new ownership because we've been bought with a price. We're not just being led, well, another choice that we're making. No, we're to be sold out to Christ. And under that new ownership, our life begins taking a different direction. Paul says in 20, he says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Paul says that when you're a slave to sin, the choices of your life were already made for you. He says free to righteousness, or free in regard to righteousness. That's because I didn't know righteousness. I was not bound to, to work and to do righteousness. When I'm talking with a non-believer, you know what? I don't expect them to live like a believer. I don't go to a non-believer and say, you know what? You need to clean your act up. You need to start making the right choices in life. You need to start living godly. Why? Because they can't. Outside of Christ, they cannot. Why? Because they have a different master. What they need to do is come to Christ. You can't say, well, I'm going to try and get my life better. I'm going to try and build my life up in order that I might be able to come to Christ. You will never arrive. You'll never arrive. It's only when you come just as you are to the cross of Christ that he then works in you by the power of his Holy Spirit, bringing new ownership into your life and new direction into your life. We were slaves to sin. There was no other way around it. There was no choice that we could make when we were a slave to sin. Every direction and choice of our life was not for the kingdom of God. What is a slave? In Rome, there were so many slaves, as a matter of fact, they outnumbered the freemen. And there was a decision, and we had spoken about this at the introduction to the book of Romans, there was a decision that was made early on in Rome that they said, well, what we need to do is have all the slaves dress differently so that we who are free might be able to see who the slaves are at any point in time. And then someone with a little bit more smarts came up and said, no, we can't do that because there's so many of them. If they realized how many of them they were compared to us freemen, they would overrun us. They would revolt. Rome knew what slaves were. And for the most part, he was one who was born into that condition of slavery. One whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. One who is bound to the master with bonds that only death can break. And one who serves his master to the disregard of his own interest. Phrases and words that were never found on a slave's lip was, I want this. My plan is this. Why, I think I will do this. Because their will, their direction, their future, everything was at the whim of their master. And you and I, when we become slaves to righteousness, when we surrender ourselves to Christ, that needs to be the attitude of our heart also. Paul, the apostle himself, declares, I'm a bondservant to Jesus Christ. We need to have that attitude even that Jesus had to his Father. He says, not my will, but your will be done. Verse 21 here, Paul says, What fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. Well, the fruit of the unbeliever is fruits of unrighteousness, fruits of 
rebellion, and fruits of sin. None of those things attractive. None of those things desirable. Can you imagine if someone who said that they loved you decided they would send one of those really nice little fruit baskets to you? You've seen them. Perhaps you've received them. Can you imagine receiving one from someone who says that they love you and you go to open it up and suddenly, wow, the smell just overwhelms you because the bananas are are black, the oranges are green, the strawberries are fuzzy and, uh, you know, all this real putrid stuff and some of them is like oozing out the juices on them because they're so rank and so spoiled. Beloved, that's the fruit of our unrighteousness. That's the fruit of our sin. Even when we were non-believers, if we would have said, oh, but I'm a nice person and I've done good things, surely my fruit isn't that bad. Surely my fruit of my life as a good person, as a doer of good deeds, God would accept. Beloved, our word tells us that our righteousness, our good deeds outside of Christ, are like filthy rags, like filthy rags. And I could explain to you what those filthy rags are, but I'm not going to take that opportunity this morning. Just understand that it is the grossest of grossness that you could imagine to come and lay before someone and say, here, this is mine to you. It would be as if you sent a basket of rotten, putrid fruit to the Lord and said, here, Here's my righteousness. Won't you receive my gift? How would you feel if you received one of those gifts? Rotten, spoiled, and diseased fruit. Verse 22, though, he says, But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end, everlasting life. So, what is the fruit of holiness? Well, it's a much better looking basket, I can guarantee you that. But the fruit of holiness is outside actions that are motivated by a heart in love with and controlled by Jesus Christ as Lord. You need to understand what that's saying. It's it's outward actions, but yes, much more than that. It's outward actions that are motivated by a heart that's in love with and controlled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you say, because you see, we can do a lot of outward actions, but with the wrong motivation. And Paul speaks about that in Corinthians. He says, every man's work is going to be judged, whether it be gold, silver, or precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And that that's wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burnt up. That's the good actions. That's the outward actions, but with the wrong motivation. They're being motivated because of the applause of men, because of trying to appease someone else. And that kind of good work, God looks at that and says, that's, that's absolutely worthless. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you this morning, I don't care if you're a Sunday school teacher, an usher, a greeter, a board member, a staff, whatever you might be, if the outward actions of your life and your decision to serve and to work in the church of Jesus Christ, if the outward actions are not motivated because of the greatness of your love and your passion for Christ, then I want you to just stop. 
Just quit your position and get the first things first. I don't care where you're serving, what you're doing, because if your outward actions are not motivated by the power of your love for Christ, beloved, they are worthless. And worse than that, it's part of that danger of grace. You think that you're doing something good, but God is not pleased. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Romans next time. It's been said that if a believer were to drop their Bible on the ground, it should fall open to the book of Romans. Why, you might ask? Because this book is packed full of doctrine that we truly need to grasp as believers in Jesus. Or maybe you're listening today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet. We encourage you to continue tuning in Monday through Friday as Pastor David shares insights from this book. Pastor David will be teaching through this book with hopes that all those tuning in each day here on The Open Word would either be saved or be encouraged in their salvation. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. And to become our Facebook friend or to follow The Open Word Twitter feed or to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the Book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word. Mm -hmm.